Our second reading today comes to us from the book of 2 Kings, chapter 4, verses 1 through 7. Now the wife of a member of the company of prophets cried to Elisha, Your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that your servant feared the Lord. But a creditor has come to take my two children as slaves. Elisha said to her, What shall I do for you? Tell me, what do you have in the house? She answered, Your servant has nothing in the house except a jar of oil. He said, Go outside, borrow vessels from all your neighbors, empty vessels and not just a few. Then go in and shut the door behind you and your children and start pouring into all these vessels. When each is full, set it aside. So she left him and shut the door behind her and her children. They kept bringing vessels to her, and she kept pouring. When the vessels were full, she said to her son, Bring me another vessel. But he said to her, There are no more. Then the oil stopped flowing. She came and told the man of God, and he said, Go, sell the oil and pay your debts, and you and your children can live on the rest. This ends the reading of God's holy word. May God add many blessings to the hearing of it. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, we've come into your house and gathered in your name to worship you. Enable us to hear your call in our lives. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts here together be found pleasing and acceptable in your sight. Our Lord, our rock our Redeemer. Amen. We are in my favorite time of the year. Talking with clergy, clergy always talk about how busy Lent is, how uh, busy Christmas is, Advent is. And sometimes we joke about how the summer is the slow period. Well, having had church in the park last week, leaving for the Mars Hill mission trip on Saturday, being gone for eight days, and then having just a week before art and music camp, that's why the summer being slow is a joke. <laughs> it is not slow. It's Clergy often say, well, if we could get through this month, there'll be the next month. And that's when things will slow down, and it never really seems to. But I really do love this period of year. And it's not just because I get to wear shorts to worship like three times in six weeks. But it's because of all the things we have going on. Worshiping last week outdoors in, in an interactive way and, and communing with one another. Going down to, to Mars Hill, North Carolina to work on houses for, for the poor, for the needy. And then coming back and servicing and helping the children of of Bowie with the art and music camp and teaching about the love of God through Jesus Christ. It really is a great time. It's also a busy time, an exhausting time, but it's such a spiritually fulfilling time. I've been reading a lot about mission trips lately, and there's been this huge debate over the past few years if short-term mission trips are worthwhile. And there's a growing contingency that say short-term mission trips not only aren't helpful, but they do harm. And I think there's a lot of merit to this. And they lifted up several uh, examples of complete failures. 
They talked about a mission trip of women who went down to Africa to stay at an orphanage for two weeks and hold the babies that never get held. And they said, on on the surface, this seems like a great cause, but the last thing these babies need is another person to get attached to and then to abandon them. They talked about the church that spent thousands and thousands of dollars to go down to Central America and to paint an orphanage. With the money they spent, they could have hired two local painters, two new teachers, and bought uniforms for the entire school. They talked about the church that went and built a New England-style church in the middle of Somalia that only gets used when the mission team goes there. They talked about the group that spent $2,000 a person for 20 youth and four adults volunteers to go and build a school. And it was shoddy work because it was a bunch of teenagers that could barely mow their own lawn, supervised by four kids that usually kept... Uh, spent time keeping the hormones apart and the job wasn't finished and they were promised that the next team would finish it. We go into these societies where we don't know the culture, where we invade, where we spend more money going that could be put into the local economy and then helped to go to local craftsmen and that will go to local retailers and help build up their economy. We see time and again we actually do more harm than good. And one of the arguments is for the people on the mission trip, it's very fulfilling. And this might seem true, but the people often come back with a savior complex. We're better than them. We went and helped the poor people that can't help themselves. We are the superheroes. There's a story about donations of clothes going to a South African country that used to have a thriving clothing industry until all these donations came in and destroyed the clothing industry because these donations were being sold for a dollar or two dollars on the streets. And their economy was destroyed. So what do we do? Do we give up on mission trips? Do we give up on serving others? I don't think that's the case. I think that if we embody our call to follow Christ, we see that Christ sends the disciples out to baptize and make believers of all nations. We see that Christ commands us to go and do unto the least of these as we would do unto Him. To help those in need, those who are hurting, those who are wanting. But we have to do it in a smarter way. Today we're continuing our sermon series on the forgotten and the least less recognized women of the Bible. And today's woman doesn't even have a name. She's simply known as the widow. And Elisha and some prophets are moving through, and the widow cries out to him and says, My servant, my husband has died. I'm left with nothing. And a debtor is coming to take my two children, to sell them into slavery, to settle my debts. And Elisha looks at her and says, What can I do for you? 
What do you have? She says, I have nothing. I have only a little bit of oil. And that's it. He said, well, go to all your neighbors, borrow containers, borrow empty Coke jugs, empty milk jugs, cans, whatever you can find, vessels of every shape and size, and pour the oil into it. And when that's full, pour it into the next one, and into the next one, and into the next one. And when you run out of containers, the oil will stop pouring. Since I've started shaving my head, I've started using kind of fancy shaving cream. I don't use the stuff that you spray out anymore. I, I get the tubs, and I, I have a little shaving brush. And I tried a new brand a couple months ago, and it was miraculous. I got to the end. I said, well, I've got one more shave out of this. I better order it again. And I, I shaved the next day, and I said, well, I've got one more shave out of this. I'll, you know, I'll, I'll just put this up in the cabinet. For three weeks, every time I used it, I said, well, I could get one more shave out of it. And the shaving cream seemed to have never dissipated. It was amazing. And I can't imagine how this woman felt when the oil kept pouring and pouring and pouring. And Elisha said, go sell all this oil. You'll be able to pay off your debtors and you and your children could live off the rest. I think we need to look at Elisha and the widow as our model for mission. Because Elisha does something very important. This woman comes to him in need. She comes to him broke. Her children are about to be sold into slavery and she doesn't know what to do. And Elisha could pull out some money, go here, go, go pay the debtors. But instead he says, what do you need? What do you have? How is it that I can help you help yourself? How is it I can enable you to prosper? What is exactly is it that you need? Not what do I think you need, but what do you really need? Because so often we go into these locations with our ideas of what these people need. And we don't know the culture. We don't know the hierarchy. We don't know how things will be received. As we reading one article about a pastor who went on a mission trip, and while they were dedicating the orphanage, he wandered off into the desert or into the jungle, and he came across a group of people pulling water from the well. And he thought, here is an opportunity for me to really help. He said, "Can I help you?" And he sat there and struggled with the well for several minutes while they laughed at him. And he felt like a part of a community, but then he realized later that the one bucket he drew up, they could have drawn five or six buckets during that time, and he had wasted their time. On his way back to the camp, he came across another group of people washing dishes. And he said, well, now here's something I could do. I could wash dishes. Let me help you. And so he started washing dishes and got all their dishes clean. And as he left, he heard laughter. He'd been washing the dishes in the dirty water because he didn't understand their system for cleaning. He was doing what he thought they needed without listening to them. He was trying to do mission work without becoming mission partners. And that's what Elisha does. Elisha sees the widow and says, what can I do for you? What is it that you need?
And how can I help you to make that happen? What is it that you have that you can utilize? And she tells him about the oil. And then he helps her to use the oil to pay her debts, to provide for her and her children to avoid these problems in the future. We don't need to avoid doing mission work. We just need to enter into mission work through forming of relationships. Whether it's mission work in our own backyard, in a different state, or in a different country. We need to do it. We need to engage in relationships, and they need to be genuine relationships. Next week, we'll be heading down to, to the Mars Hill, uh, city of Mars Hill in North Carolina, and we'll be working in, in um, Madison County to rehab trailers for people that live in levels of poverty that we cannot imagine. But we don't just barge in there and give them what we think they need. This is a relationship that has been built over years and years and years of this mission project. We're newcomers to it. This is our third year, but it's been going on for 12, 13 years. They formed a housing coalition in Madison County that's permanent that works with these families. And these families apply and they talk about what it is that they need and how we can help them to prosper. And even in the three short years we've been involved, we've seen this come to be. We've seen families we helped our first year have gainful employment when we come back the second year, partly because of the improvements done to their home. We've seen people's qualities of life improve. Last year, one of the women that worked for the Housing Coalition came and spoke to our group, and she said, I was inspired to take on this job out of college because before I went to college, you guys came and helped my family. And that empowered her, and it showed her Christ's love, and it gave her hope, and she said, I want to be a part of that. The same is true with our Christmas in April program. It's a program where they need to apply for it. They need to talk about what it is that we can do for them. We don't go in and say, oh, I don't like this color. I'm going to paint this wall, or I think this is faulty. This is what I'm going to fix. We listen to them and hear what they need. There are all sorts of wonderful projects that are mission programs that help people help themselves. One of my favorites is the Heifer Project. It's a project where you can buy livestock for uh, people who are in need. And it's not just giving them food, but it's giving a way to sustain themselves because they can breed the animals. They can uh, grow their flock, their, their livestock. We are called to be missional people. There's no way we could be followers of Christ and think it's just our job to worship once a week. We worship a Savior who is God emptied into a human body, who came to live, to be in relationship with humanity, who is Emmanuel, God with us. And we see Jesus go out into the mission field. We see him traveling around the area. We see him encounter the tax collector, Zacchaeus. And when Zacchaeus reaches out to him, what does he do? He goes to Zacchaeus' house. He dines with him. He stays the night with him. He gets to know him. He enters into relationship with him. 
He's constantly getting to know people, staying with them, talking to people. He was with uh, tax collectors and drunks and prostitutes so much that the Pharisees used that to slander him. He reached out to get to know the people he was helping. Our first reading today follows immediately after the feeding of the 5,000. Where Jesus just gave them food and a lesson, but everyone forgot the lesson. And the next day, because he just gave them one meal, they showed up wanting more. It's not enough to give people one meal. That's a band-aid. We need to look at the bigger picture. We need to look at how God is calling us to help people lift themselves up. How God is calling us to help fix the broken systems of the world. How God is calling us to really engage in relationship and build genuine relationships with people in need in our own community, in our own country, in our own world. We are a missional people. And whether we're trying to help someone spiritually, emotionally, physically, we need to start by asking, what is it you need? How can I help you? How is God calling me to help you? And then we can enter into true Christian mission. Amen.